Hey, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. I'm here in my kitchen, and my guest today is my old friend and a very talented writer and man about town, Eddie Shapiro. Man about town. I know, God. working. Now, it suddenly makes me feel like I should get out more. You just do lots of cool things. Now, um, and you also are bi coastal. <laughs> I am You're bi-coastal. full on bi coastal. You have full places on in both places. Yeah, it, it gives me a place to store the bodies. It's good. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, and I've stayed at your place in New York and it's charming. And um, But you've been in the same two places for like decades and decades That's right. because I just can't, I can't, I can't handle change. I know. Well, change <laughs> is changey. Um, this is the first time I've recorded a podcast with this new microphone situation in my house where there's not a lot of crap going on. So hopefully this will sound better than ever to our listeners because I'm not known for my technical well, finesse. Well, I'm a Jew, so there's no place I'm more comfortable than a kitchen. Than a kitchen? Right. And, and, the, and Eddie's sitting in my booth. I had a booth made for my uh, kitchen nook. I'm on a bank fit. I feel it's like, like a diner. I know. You're it's kind fantastic. of in a diner. Yeah. So... Anyway, I'm for Flo to bring us something. Now, you have written a book called Nothing Like a Dame, which is all about the divas of Broadway and musical theater. And I want to get into that more, but there's a few things that are on the top of mind. Sure. First of all, we saw each hot other. Topics. Hot topics. We're starting with hot topics, and then we're going to go into the plug. Um, I saw you at an Outfest party last night. Yes. Outfest is coming around again. It sure is. It's crazy how that happens. Yeah. And um, speaking of films. I haven't discussed the normal heart yet on this podcast, and did you? You saw it recently. I, it, I saw it forty-eight hours ago. Okay, cool. So it's fresh because a lot of people have already digested it and all of that stuff. It's totally fresh for me. The so, makeup stains are still on my couch. That's right. So we don't have to go into it at length. But what I want to say is that I watched it in Dubai oh. with a group of a small group of uh, some gay people. And who are uh, from the Middle East, different countries, and dealing with all of that oppression and all of and yet they're also very culturally savvy with American things and know a lot of gay films, but they're it's like this double life. So it was a very interesting place to watch that movie about this time in American life. And, you know, tears were shed. And um, overall, I thought it was really good. Mm -hmm. I thought it was the best thing Ryan Murphy's done. And I thought the performances were really good. Had you seen the play before? I have, but not okay. a, but I never saw it on Broadway. I saw a local production like a year ago here in L.A. And I think Bill Brocktrop was in it and a number of oh, other right, talented right, right, right. actors. He did it at the Odyssey, I think, right. It was yeah. in this, like, on Fountain, but it knocked no, me Fountain out. the Fountain Theater, on Fountain, right, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Bill Brocktrop was in it, yes, you're right. It knocked um, me out. Yeah. I had never seen it before. And I was, I knew that Larry Kramer was, um... Uh, persnickety or you know can be and I but I and I knew that going in but I was impressed with how self-effacing he was about that part of himself in mm-hmm. the play because I had no idea what it was about do you know what I mean I, yeah, I was like yeah, oh yeah. it's about him and and this battle and also his he, you know how how the way he is is good and and also sometimes turns people off and all of that stuff so I was surprised at how self-aware it was because um, I had no idea what it was. I just knew it had to do with AIDS. I didn't know it was so personal to him. Well, you know, for me, remember, I spent a decade as the director of AIDS Walk New York and AIDS Walk Los Angeles. So right. I, I worked in the offices of GMHC. So that that it's all um, very um, close to home for Yeah, for and me. you have a different perspective right. about it. Um, uh, and I was dreading seeing the film, because, which is why I waited so long. Um, because I've seen the play many, many times, and I also, you know, we are both old enough that we remember, you know. Right. I was, I was on um, the 
kind of I I kind of right on the, cusp. the tail end yeah, of it. Me too. In a way. Right on the cusp. So fortunately not having sex yet, but still new people who, you know, were yeah. surrounding that. Um and um to see, it's one thing to see it all on stage and for me and another thing to see it when it's really naturalistic and you're seeing those scenes you're seeing Fire Island you're seeing you know and it it, it, it it hits home in a whole different kind of way so I really was not looking forward to that but what actually my take on it was that um, I agree with you it's the best thing Ryan Murphy's done um, but I thought that, and I thought the performances were also excellent but I also thought that Mark Ruffalo um, was almost too sweet so the thing that you're talking about in terms of Larry Kramer and sort of owning his irascibility and how you know obnoxious he was I was like God Mark Ruffalo is kind of a pussycat. So. But it's his. It's not his performance. It's who he is, Mark right. Ruffalo. That's right. That's true. It, in other words, he could say all those things, and they're convincing, and you believe it. But underneath it, he still he's has lovable. Those eyes. You right. can't help right. it. Right. He's still but kind it's of a true. Teddy. But I think, yeah. in a way, it didn't quite. Maybe it didn't quite nail that sort of like, oh, get him the fuck out of here right. of it. Right. But it may have be made it more palatable. Yeah. Yeah, for audiences, yeah. Maybe. But I, you know, it's true. Like, Mark Ruffalo, even at his most awful, you still kind of want to... Hug him. You kind of want to... You can't help it. Yeah, yeah. Um, One thing I really liked about the movie, aside from the actual content of it, it was like, in the promotion and the lead up to it and the watching of it, there weren't all those conversations we always have with gay things about, well, why didn't they get gay people? And actors are out and not actors and who's in and who's out and whatever. It seems like we're kind of moving past that. Because there were enough, so good. there were enough openly gay actors in it that you felt that it was connected to the community, right. and you could see it in their performances. Like you could see what it meant to Matt Bomer. You could see what it, you know. But also, Mark Ruffalo was great in it. Like in other words, we didn't have all those conversations we, yeah. we used to always have about who's that, in and who's out, and is that okay, and why didn't they get them, and blah blah. Is it the times? Is it the, you know, that we're living in? Is it HBO? You know, is it different when it's HBO? Did I don't? I wasn't. I think it's because we have enough. Where we we've got enough people in the in the in the ball game and in the table right. that we don't have to have those things have those conversations anymore. So much, which is pretty great. It's really great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because they used to be so tiresome, and I I get it for my actor friends how frustrating it would be and stuff like that. To do you know what I mean? To it's not easy to be an out actor and then. Yeah, I get it, and also I hate it. I mean, there's just been today a big thread. If you're a big theater geek like some of us, I know, who write right? books about the the women of musical theater. Right. Um, there was a thread on t- today's um uh all that chat to, on talking Broadway about casting the king. Of First Siam. of all, all of that yeah. this is such a mouthful. It's so. Gay. It almost sounds like if you were you were writing a gay sitcom and there's a blogger who works for pretty much. That's pretty much. like what what is his thing called? So it's all that chat. All that chat. Which is part of talking Broadway. It's a thread on talking Broadway. And all that And it's talking with an apostrophe. Big, yeah, exactly. No G. And huge thread about who's to play the king in the, in the upcoming production of The King and I. Right. Um, and like people floated names and then other people got incensed that some of those names were not Asian. And uh, I think it's so funny how it's it, it's so PC now to talk about colorblind casting and you know yes isn't it great when casting is colorblind and right now the eponine on Broadway is black but it doesn't cut the other way if a character is written to be a certain way and to cast 
somebody who they've deemed to be the best person for the role, but isn't ethnically suitable, or in the case that you're talking about, um, doesn't identify as as, right. as as gay, then that's that's wrong. It's, it's only colorblind in a, as a one-way street. And I find that a really interesting concept. Well, I think it's because... The, the perceived the, 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 yes and it's right. been years and years and years and, right. and now sure. we're you know what I mean like I think right but if you're gonna break through then right. doesn't it have to go both I mean it's like feminism right you know you can't you can't demand equal salaries right. and then demand that the door be held for you right. as well but I think we're getting to the point with the gay thing at least with with this project that it was that, that it felt it felt inclusive. Yeah. So yeah. people weren't kvetching about it. Right. But when it's kind of like, I think you need a more of a track record in some of those areas. Yeah. For example. I, I, do you know what I mean? Like I where you go, true. you know, maybe we didn't do it this time, maybe, but we did it that time and that time and that time. But it's like, I don't know. Look, I'm the first person who would be pissed off. Well, I'm not the first person, but I would be pissed <laughs> off with a white uh, king and the king and I. And yeah. yet I have to look at it. And in the same way we're talking about, you know, do I, do, did I have a problem with Mark Ruffalo in this role because he was straight? Not because he was straight. I, I don't know. Th- and I don't think I'm, you know, I'm up in arms that the role didn't go to Dennis O'Hare or whatever. You know? Right. Um, yeah. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Who is the best Julia Roberts you've ever seen on stage in that role? Did you see Ellen Barkin did it? Ellen Barkin did it. And, but there's a, there's a, uh, there was a, you know how I feel about Stalker Channing. Right, of course. <laughs> oh, and there was, We had a deal, Jeff. Jeb. Uh, Jeb. Jeb. Uh, and we... Uh, and, <laughs> sorry, French. But um, there was a there was a benefit rec- uh, uh, reading uh, done at the Normal Heart and uh, with an all-star cast. And, and she, Was it in she, L.A.? No, it was in New York. Okay. And she was the doctor and she's my favorite. Oh, I bet she would have been great. Yeah, she, well, she, come on. When is she not great? She's great. She's, she's always great. Amazing. Yeah, so that's my. Those were my thoughts about it, the casting and stuff like that. And yeah, I did but, you but cry? So, I, of course, I cried, and I'm so happy it's in the world. I'm yeah. so happy the movie exists. And I thought the ending shot was interesting. With do you remember with Larry in at the Yale thing? Because I thought it had a ray of hope that it was kind of like, yes, what that's we're exactly going through. What we're is, talking about. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the, it, it was like something's changing. This is miserable. I've right. lost so much. I fought so hard. It all but, seems for naught, but here I am, and these people are a little more free to be who they, they are, are than t- I was. They are tangibly the future. Yeah. They are right here, you know, and that, that yeah, that, yeah, I agree with you. That's a totally hopeful moment to... I know. I thought that was an interesting yeah. way to end it. Yeah. Um, speaking of cool gay people, I saw the case... <laughs> Were we? I, well, I don't, about, I don't know about cool... Because, um, oh, I forgot to tell you my Larry Kramer anecdote. Have you ever met him? Yes, many times. Okay, so I was hosting Radio with a Twist, which was a national gay radio show, like American Top 40 with a gay twist. Right. And so it was light and fluffy, not hard-hitting at all. And there was one month where we were doing short interviews with people who had made some gay list that was, uh, you know, you know, I think we had Barney Frank on and we, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. We had Larry Kramer on. And we were not ready for that jelly. Let me tell you, because he was like, what are you guys doing? What are you doing to help the community? And we're like, well, we're on an openly gay radio show. And we're just like, he was confrontational and challenging. I'm shocked. We were like, (laughs) we couldn't wait to get off that interview. But it was so like, yeah, we were not prepared. But, you know, that's his, that's... Yeah. That's his thing, and it's it's a it is an interesting thing because I think even it comes up in this movie that even as the community transitions, like if that's your, he almost seems stuck in a confrontational rut, even as we no longer need to be quite so confrontational. But 
now again, I think we're coming around to needing to be confrontational again, but yeah. that's just my opinion. But, right. you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, uh, certainly, I know about getting caught. Well, what were you? What was it like when you meet him? <laughs> uh, well, the context in which I met him. Remember again, AIDS walks. Right. So I met him in the halls of GMHC. Or I mean, when he he's coming back into a place. I mean, that's, that's so really loaded for him. For him. So loaded, and you know, getting a tour of of the space. Yeah. You know, now they got a new couch. Right, exactly. Yeah. Or having him on the AIDS walk stage, which is scary because you know, you put him you put a microphone in that Shit. man's hand. And, yeah, <laughs> you don't know what's gonna happen. Right, but at Look, the same time, even can you just to, introduce like, Channel with and just right, and move say, on and move on? Uh, uh, so as an event producer, like you're thrilled to have him because of all that he's done and all that right. he represents, and also you're terrified because right. you're like, oh my god, what the hell is gonna happen now? Right. So yeah, but there you but, go. But, but but it's an honor. It's always yeah. an honor to meet yeah. you know, people who are so important to, to right. the movement. And he wasn't very visible with the premiere and stuff. I think he's in the hospital. Like yeah, he he's has not been well. I hope he's okay for the Emmys. I would love yeah. to see him at the Emmys. Yeah. And I, I thought the script was really good. And that I like that he got sole credit on it. it was and his. the script is very different from the from the play. So it's not like he just slapped up his, his yeah. play. Yeah, sounds like they worked he, really hard. Yeah, he really did a lot to adapt. And you know what I thought was good is the sex scene between Matt Bomer and, and Mark Ruffalo when they are new. Because mm -hmm. I felt like they were like, we want to we wanna show all parts of this. We want to, we're not going to underplay the sexuality or the passion or the, and that was a, they were a couple and stuff like that. But I liked that it wasn't, like, there was nothing like that in Philadelphia, as you recall. That was a long time ago. <laughs> But do you know what I'm saying? The like the state, I mean the, yeah. the city. The city. There's nothing like in the whole city. <laughs> right, right. So anyway, I like that too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I thought Matt Bomer was well cast because he's almost too beautiful to, to, to be in movies. Sometimes you're mm -hmm. almost like I. You look like a doll. Like it's too much. But then in that role, and then then seeing him, I thought it. I thought it His his beauty worked too. For the role in a great way. Yeah, I think so too, and and it makes it. I'm sad to say this, but because uh, it it points a uh, bright spotlight on how shallow we can yeah. be, but it makes his wasting away that much more tragic. And you know, yeah. had he been trollish, we might not have been right. quite as sad about it. You no, but you see the holy yeah. smoke. Just a few months ago, he was right. that, and now right. he's this. I was talking to a, a guy that at Pride, an acquaintance of mine who's an actor, and he said he had a friend in New York who was uh, had a, like a one day on the on the movie, uh -huh. and his character name was Guy with AIDS on Train, uh, and I was oh like, oh, God, I remember yeah. that guy, and oh, you know what? So haunting. No other words would fit in that description. You know what? Yeah. He, he's Guy with AIDS on, on train. train. Period. Yeah. End of story. Yeah. You can't cut any of those words out. You need Train. <laughs> right. You need Guy. Right. You need AIDS. Yeah. You can't be guy number two. Yeah, no. Man. Yeah. And I, I even, I do remember seeing those people in New York at that time too and, and feeling, you know, that, that, I mean, I think the movie plays it really well that you, on the one hand, feel freaked out and terrified as if you're seeing, right. you know, and at the same time you feel compassion and, and, and you're, at that time you're scared because you don't even know how, you know, the yeah. level of contagion. It's all, yeah, it does a really good job. And you've also been in that world doing the AIDS Walk events. Uh, you were you were the, the director for mm -hmm. a while, and now you still consult, and I still you still. Consult. Yep. So how has that world changed? So much, um, and 
as it should. Um, because it's gotten, you know, it's funny when I started volunteering, I, I started volunteering at the AIDS walk because I got out of a relationship and I was depressed. And I need to get myself out of the house. So this is the early nineties. And at the time that I went there, um, it was still at a time when you contracted HIV, you're, it changed your life. Right. You couldn't work. You couldn't maintain your job. You were worried about it felt like a your death apartment. Sense. Yeah. All of that stuff. Um, and the people who came there were really, really desperate, um, for, you know, almost in many cases, end of life, you know, how am I going to transition? It's so different now. And the people who participate in the walk and who volunteer for it are also so different now. And they've become, um, the volunteers and walkers, so many of them are young and have never ever, they're school groups and they've never ever, um, known anybody with HIV or AIDS, but they're in it and it's really inspiring to see that. And they're in it just because they know it's important. They feel like they have a sense of what it's been about and... Yeah. And because they're smart enough or at least well-educated enough to know that uh, it's contagious and it's, you know, unlike other diseases that may come in and out of vogue, um, this one uh, is contagious and could affect them at any moment. Um, and that, you know, that has weight. But, you know, it's a, I mean, this is going to be the 30th AIDS Walk Los Angeles this year. Wow. In October. And Maybe just have them skip this time, mix it up, <laughs> it's a just, sachet. It's, like it's it's a constant. I'd say for the last fifteen years, it's been a constant battle um, against complacency. Right, uh, I could because, see that, especially in the gay community. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, honey, I did that walk all through the nineties. Right, and I mean, we get tired of a of a, of a restaurant. Forget it. You know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, exactly. We're we're turning on tender greens. It's hard, but 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 God, thank God that you know youth is into it and gets yeah. it. Um, and shows up. That's incredible. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. Um, I also saw The Case Against Eight, which is this documentary about the court challenge yeah. to, um, to Prop, eight. Prop 8. And there was a screening in Burbank at the AMC 16, and my friends Doug and John were going, and I was like, I, I would go, sure, that sounds good. So we get there, and one of the plaintiffs, um, it's Jeff and Paul, I believe his name was Jeff, um, and Doug and John, my friends, had met them like once or twice at a grocery store or whatever. And so we, we go and I noticed that Jeff, the, the plaintiff, has like an earpiece on. And I was like, is he working? What's going on? He's the manager of the AMC 16. Oh my God. I love, I love That's it. That's crazy. I know. So they screen the movie and then he and his husband comes and they answer questions. And of course, I am such a Q&A whore. Hands up. I'm like, how many? I, my question is always like, in my head is how many can I ask before right, right. I annoy everyone else? So you're like, did you both set up the red carpet and then appear on it? Or <laughs> I know exactly, but I guess because AMC, you know, he's part of that. That's why yeah, that yeah. theater was one of them or whatever. Um, the takeaway from the movie was it was really moving and both couples are sort of portrayed, uh, portrayed in their lives and, and leading up to it and the cross-examination and all this stuff. Those couples that they picked were the right people. They were so human and extraordinary right, right. and and sincere but smart and savvy. They weren't victimy. They were like they were fighters, but they were just cool people. I yeah. really liked them. And then um Bowles and Olsen were no fools. What's that? Bowles and Olsen, the lawyers, no fools. And first of all, they're having the biggest bromance in the <laughs> right? his, in the history of cinema. <laughs> uh the the two lawyers um it's David Boyes and Ted Olson, right? right. And they were Roe uh, Ro versus Wade. They were Bush v. Gore. And um, from what I understand, that's still a touchy subject with them. But they teamed up for this case. Yeah. 
And when, in the documentary, they're so in love with each other, it's not even funny. Like, in terms of, like, well, I, I if I wasn't going to do the cross-examination, I'd rather it be, nobody's better than David. Let's right. let David right. do it. They were really, like, gushed about the other's abilities, and it, it wasn't lip service. It was, like, they were just nuts about each other. It was really, that was really an interesting sort of takeaway from it. Well, I'm looking but, it. Yeah, and I... I got to talk to the guys afterwards, and, and, the, and the other guy works for Equinox. I, th I love that they were at Valley Boys. <laughs> they weren't like an entertainment lawyer right, and right, an environmental right, right. activist from Beverly Hills. No, they were like, you know. Totally like Joe the Plumber. Totally jo relatable were, humor. Re yes, and yeah. relatable in, in an L.A. context. Right, like, right, you know right. what I mean? So I like that. They were co very cool, and I hope people watch it when it airs on HBO. It's coming up. Yeah, soon. Some, really yes. soon. Yeah, like the 23rd. Yeah. Something like that. So, it yeah, was good. to HBO for, you know, between The Normal Heart and this documentary. I know. And Behind the Candelabra last year and I Looking. Know. Like, they're really um, sort of... Filling up. Stepping up. Stepping it up. I like that. Now, let's talk about your book. My book? There oh is nothing gosh. like a dame. I'm holding it in my hands. It is a nice... It is substantial. It's weighty and fantastic and it's interviews, conversations with the great women of musical theater. And I remember when you first started talking about doing this. In 1908? In 1908. I remember you talking about doing it. And then when I went to your book reading at The Grove, I'm like, he fucking did it. <laughs> he did it. And I remember you'd get like one person to sign on. And I remember it was going to be like a big coffee table book at one time. And it just, how long from beginning to end was that process? Five years. Five years. Five years. Um, and there are many reasons for that. I mean, a, well, it takes a long time to do things. A, it takes a long time to write up any book. And you know, if, if you're not, if you're holding down jobs and, yeah. and working to make money and that sort of thing. But in this particular case, um, there were several elements that that made it take a long time. The key one was actually the women themselves, because you know, you sit down with, um, say, Cheetah Rivera, and Cheetah Rivera. The first time to meet with her, she'll say, "I've got ninety minutes." So you take the 90 minutes, knowing full well the, the purpose of this book, the conversations in this book, I wanted them all to be career-encompassing conversations. So right. I wanted to start it when, you know, where were you born? Right. And go right up until your the most recent show that you did. Right. So knowing that, I knew that, you know, 90 minutes with Cheetah Rivera, that is a drop in the ocean. Right. But you take the 90 minutes and you saying thinking, all right, I'll get there, I'm going to do this. And she'll get involved in the process and then she'll see She's going to fall in love time. with me and she's right, going to exactly. give me everything I need. Pretty much. Did so any of them happens. say that's all you got? That's what happens, but it but it's it ends up being five sessions with Cheetah Rivera and each time, so it's like, okay, so we do the 90 minutes and then the next time, she, because I'm bi-coastal and she's working, the next time we can meet is like 11 months hence. And then five of those, you multiply that by 20 women. 20 women and in the book. And it takes forever to yeah. write this thing. But yes, they're, 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 well, there was no one actually who was like, uh, no, that's all, that, that's all you got. Although there were a couple who I finished faster than others. Let me put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think, it, let's, let's look at some of the names. Um, Elaine Stritch, Carol Channing, Cheetah Rivera, Donna McKechnie, Angela Lansbury, Leslie Uggams, Judy Kay, Betty Buckley, Patty Lapone, B.B. Newworth, Donna Murphy, Lilius White, Karen Ziemba. Did I, how many of these names have I mangled? Deborah Monk, no, Victoria Clark, Audrey McDonald, Kristen Chenoweth, Adina Menzel, Sutton Foster, Laura Benanti, and Tanya Pankins. Now, what was your, um, what was your, uh, who made the book? What criteria. Was, was my criteria. Thank you. Yeah. I couldn't um, think of criteria. That was, that was tough because, you know, in a, in a, 
A, just thinking about who do I want to sit on a couch with, you know? Like, there's that. Um, and, of course, I would have wanted to sit down with Carol Burnett or Barbara Streisand, people right. who did, you know, some musical. But there had, knowing that I wanted these chapters to be as long as they were going to be and knowing that um, publishing is what it is and that my publisher did have a very strict word count, I was going to have to limit it to 20 women. So um, the criteria that I set was you had to have a Tony Award. Okay. Um, you had to have at least one and have been nominated for another one sometime in your career. You, you had, had to have, have been nominated for another one? Yep. You had to have a career in musical theater. That doesn't mean exclusively musical theater, but somebody like Angela Lansbury, who has, you know, obviously she's done plenty of other things in her life, but have a full career in musical theater, unlike, say, Barbara Streisand, who did two musicals yeah. and then Peace Out. Or I, I'm going to ask you a question that's going to shake you to your core. Oh, I'm ready. Would you have included Catherine Zeta-Jones? Not in a zillion years. <laughs> <laughs> she's got that Tony. She's but got she's... that Tony, but she's got one musical. Yeah. Uh, and we can't count Chicago. Um, so you had to have a career in musical theater. And right, one of the things also was you can't be a visiting guest star. So like no Lauren Bacall, no Glenn Close, no Catherine Zeta-Jones, because she's already a star for something else, yeah. like dipping her toe in the water at musicals. Yeah. None of that. None of that um, nonsense. So, and then the third and probably most significant piece of criteria here was that when I asked, you had to say yes. Yeah. Um, and not everybody said yes. So. Now, did some people say no and then heard through the grapevine that it's kind of yes. cool and, oh, I think I want a piece of that? That happened, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that, that must be gratifying. Patty Lapone said no six times before she said yes. What tipped so, it? I, I can't say. I don't, Do you I don't know, know or you just don't know? No, I really don't okay. know. I know. It's not that I can't say. Yeah. I, I, I literally can't say. because. How did uh, you find out she said yes? Uh, her, her publicist uh, contacted me and yeah. said, okay, she, she'll do it now. And part of it... I suspect she was writing her own memoir. Right. And I think that she was probably just wanted to stay focused on that. For and then sure. once that ran its course and then she was willing. But I, I don't I don't know the reason. I delivered cupcakes, I yeah. delivered flowers, I pleaded, I sent her chapters of other women, nothing. And then yes. Wow. So. Do you think they're do you think a lot of them are friends with each other or do you think oh, they absolutely. all Absolutely. Do you think some got on the phone with the other one and said, you should do this, it's good? Or do you think I they live in not or only, other worlds? Not Well, I, I know that in some cases, I lobbied some of them. I was like, would please you call? Would you call? Right. Yeah, I'm having trouble. Would you Would you please? That's amazing. Um, and, and based on the relationships. Because, you know, sometimes I leave their homes and, like, I mean, somebody like Sutton Foster said to me as I'm leaving her house, she's like, if there's anything I can do. And I was she like, seems well, cool. funny you should ask. <laughs> I love Actually, that. some of them, I mean, they really, for the most part, they're all really cool. They're yeah. all, they've all been so, I got an email from Audra McDonald today telling me that she loves the book. And Audra McDonald is a little busy these days. But, Here's you know, what's amazing to me about her. She won that sixth Tony. The sixth Tony. And award. no one resents her. Yeah. Uh, and she doesn't seem to be resented. Like, I didn't resent her for it. And normally, I'm like, when you watch, like, oh, fucking Frasier won again. When you yeah, watch right, an award right, show right, and right. it's that, it, it it's angering. With her, it's because she's the real deal. Because she's, she's the real deal. She's, she's incredibly good. And, I gotta say, and she also doesn't seem like an asshole. Like, I saw a Cherry Jones performance in Glass Menagerie this year. Yeah. When I saw that, I was like, there's no... Cherry Jones has another Tony Award. There's no yeah. touching that. But then I saw Audra, and it's like, oh my god, as much as I love Cherry Jones, I'm sorry. And as much as I'm like, she's got five, she doesn't need another. There, there's no... It's it's such a transcendent performance. It is so calibrated and so amazing. 
What did she say in her email today from Audra McDonald? Oh, she just said, your book is fantastic. Congratulations. That's really so sweet. sweet. I know. Really sweet. I like it. Yeah. Really, I they, love they, it. By and large, you know, I'd say 92 and a half to 94% of these women are nothing but lovely. <laughs> Who to me. was different than you thought they would be? Who surprised you the most? Uh, Patty Lapone really surprised me. In what way? Uh, because I expected, especially after saying no six times, I expected Patty Lapone to be um, a bit of a diva, yeah. right? And I expected her. to... Yeah, she's the one that whole... shuts the cell phone shit down. Right, stuff. exactly. Yeah. So, so I, I was expecting I was going to have to walk on eggshells a bit with Patty Lapone, and then it was, yeah. you know, and I show up at Patty Lapone's country house in Connecticut. She literally lives like on a farm in rural Connecticut. Right. And we spend um, a couple of hours there. And first, in the house itself, there's not a sign that an actor lives there. There's not right. a word on a shelf. There's not a theater poster up. Nothing. It could be, you know, anybody could live there. Right. But then, after the two hours that we had, and of course, again, not nearly enough time, she's like, well, what are you doing next weekend? And I said, I'm, 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 I'm free. And she said, why don't you come to the beach house in South Carolina, bring your bathing suit, so I go and I'm Patty LuPone's house guest and I get there and she's baked bread, which and I arrive and she's, and this is all in the introduction to her chapter, but she's like, she's eager to butter the bread for me and watch me eat it because she's on a diet. So she can't eat it, but she right. wants to get the vicarious thrill of watching me eat her bread. And I'm thinking, this is so not what I expected. It's amazing. I mean, this is like an Italian mama and not... At all, the diva, who, that doesn't mean that in the conversation there aren't flashes of sort of, you know, of that, but it's just not the person I expected. And then, of course, other people were exactly who I expected. Angela Lansbury was exactly who I expected. Or, in or what Elaine way? Stretch. How was she? Um, she could not have been classier um, and more... She's the only person, she called me after, the day after, to thank me for the interview, um, and was just, and insisted on making tea, and, you know... Sort of elegant, right, classy, right. a class act. And, and, and very um, uh, reflective of yeah. her career in, a, in, a, in, a, in an intelligent, uh, but not dramatic way. Right. Um, I've noticed sometimes in my career as uh, interviewing people that when they sense that you get where they're coming from, mm -hmm. they 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 open up a little bit because it's it doesn't happen all the time, and they're like, "Oh, this one gets me. I'm gonna I'm gonna calm down, and it's I, an opportunity for me to express myself and to talk about my career in a way that's meaningful. That I trust that this person's gonna." Interpret it I through think, the right lens. Yeah, I think I was the beneficiary of a lot of that. A lot of people, every single one of these chapters has stuff in it that I had never heard or read before. Yeah. And I and I get asked all the time um, when I'm doing press, how did you get them to open up so much? And I think, you know, I, I can't answer that question objectively, but I think because I am such a theater geek and I am so passionate about it that they, and I did know their career so well that they felt um, comfortable enough. In fact, one of my, my favorite um, stories from the book was Elaine Stritch, who um, at the beginning she was so difficult. She was. She's say, like the Larry Kramer yeah, of um, yeah. She, I mean, divas. she would say things like like I, 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 I'm I'm debating about whether or not I can drop an f bomb on this. Podcast. Oh, you could totally okay. drop it. Uh, so she would say, you know, hey, that's fifty years ago. How the fuck am I supposed to remember? Right. And I would say, well, perhaps knowing yourself as you do, you could conjecture about what you might have felt. Right. I mean, it was really like like that at the beginning, but toward the end, she said to me, "I gotta tell you something, Eddie. You know, I get so bored talking about the past all the time, but when I talk to you, you have such a genuine enthusiasm." 
enthusiasm for this stuff that when I think of a story that I can tell you, I get excited to tell you because I want it. I want you to have it. Right. And I was like, that is a sublime compliment, and I was so happy to have it on tape because right. <laughs> who'd have imagined it? Right. You know, Carol Channing actually said to me as I was leaving the first time I did her, she said, um, thank you so much for being so interested. And I right. said, interested? Like, isn't everybody who interests, uh, who, who interviews you, aren't they all interested? And she said, well, no. No, they're not. <laughs> That's so... That's what I've come yeah. to realize. Your enthusiasm goes a long way. Yeah, but I, I never would have guessed. But because, you know, you think that people who go in for these things yeah. care. Yeah. But, you know. Did you see Patti LuPone on Girls? I don't watch girls. I oh, because she's interviewed. It's Leah Dunham interviews her. Really? Yeah. As Helen Cohn, she plays herself. Uh, yes. And Leah Dunham's starting this, you know, this little kind of internship job thing with GQ, and she's interviewing Patty. Anyway, it, it it's it was funny, mm. but it also was a is it somebody who's interviewed celebrities that the the reality of it didn't quite seem right. right. But um, anyway, it was still fun. Was there ever a time when somebody brought something up that you felt stumped by? Like, I never heard of that show. Oh, fuck. No. Like, you felt like you didn't... Why? How do I not know that thing? Or, or you know, did you... Because you really did your homework and you you know it. Well, I, I, yeah. I mean, that sounds so... <laughs> so no, it's okay. It's fine. But, but I, um, I grew up, like pouring over cast albums and reading liner notes and so like from the time I was a child so my my knowledge base of the Broadway musical is pretty expansive so right. no I never felt stumped by any of these women and several of them said to me you know my career better than I know my career right. um, which uh, frankly is as it should be if I'm going right. to be writing this book you know yes. I should walk in with that kind of knowledge now um do you cry in musicals for no reason like yes. I do? Yes. I cry for no reason. I, Just because I'm overwhelmed, I think, at all the beauty. It's not the one thing. The it's the theatricality. It's the lights and the yeah. music and the cuts and the that together and the music swells and I'm out. Yeah. Yes, I can be total. There are certain shows, especially shows with grandeur, like the opening number from Ragtime can reduce me to Ragtime tears. does it for me. Yeah. yeah. Newsies. Newsies, cry to newsies, newsies for no reason. Sunday in the Park with George, the yeah. end of Act One. I am a bucket. Yeah, I Spring just, Awake and de yeah. devastated me. Yeah. But yeah. long before it got sad, just when it was right, cool. Right, right, just because of the sheer theatricality of yeah, it. Yeah, something about it um, moves me so much. Yeah. Not all of them, no, but a lot of no, them. No. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's alchemy, as you say. It's the combination of, it's the performance, it's the lights, it's the way the music just swelled yeah. like that, it's the oboe, it's whatever. It's something hits you. Yeah. What do you think of the Tonys that we just had? Oh, dear God. What do you want to say about them? Oh, they make me crazy. Why? Um, because the me... awards or the show itself? No, the show itself. The awards, I thought, were, were, were pretty damn spot on and pretty, pretty good. Um, but the show, I get really, really angry, and I understand the whole business of it, but I get really angry that on a show that is meant to celebrate Broadway and to say, this is what Broadway is, America, they don't trust the product enough that our presenters end up being like, Ladies and gentlemen, Lucy, Lucy Liu. Liu. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or here's, here's Jennifer Hudson singing from a show that hasn't opened yet and she's not involved in, but here it is. What? Yeah. There, <laughs> are you serious? That's how we're going to spend our time? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, um, and I feel like it's, uh, it, it, aside from the fact that there's not justice in that, I also feel like it makes the show bloodless because there's Lucy Liu who doesn't give a crap about right. the Broadway. So it's, it, you know, it's, it's like the Academy Awards where they're reading a teleprompter about 
actors can transcend a moment. Yeah. Like, like seriously, where it, it does, it didn't used to be that way, and it doesn't need to be that way. And right. I think what audiences re- will respond to and do respond to. I mean, if you watch what makes a show like Dancing with the Stars work, is there's a live element, there's passion, people are having real things happen. Yeah. If you put Broadway talent up on the stage of the Tony Awards and they're actually responding to the thing that they love, audiences will respond to that. I yeah. believe, but whatever. So that's my take on on the award show. But, there you go. Um, yeah, but I, you know, I I remember so vividly watching the Tony Awards in 1980, 81, 82, and I remember that the awards show ending and being sad at the end because I was going to have to wait a whole other year for the next Tony Awards. It, it was my my high holy day. What, like, what what's the most memorable Tony performances that you remember? It it is the top of everybody's list if you watch Tony Awards. It's Jennifer Holiday and yeah. singing and I'm telling you, and I remember watching that uh, and I'd never even heard of Dreamgirls when I saw that and I was at the next Wednesday matinee. Yeah, um, I was like insane for that. Uh, but there, are, there, there also used to be back back in the day, back yeah. a long time ago. They used to um, do themes during the Tony Awards. So they would honor Sondheim or honor Jerry Herman, and they'd have performers do you know some of those numbers. And some of those are also indelible. Yeah, because they were you know? unique to that. Right, right. I mean, the Dorothy Loudon singing a George yeah. Gershwin song called "Vodka" that I had never yeah. heard before, and you know. It's fantastic stuff, and it's an opportunity yeah. that we don't really take advantage of anymore. But of course, you know that's television. Yeah, there's no such thing as a variety show anymore either. Right. So, now, you know. what did you think of um, Neil Patrick Harris? Have you seen Hedwig? Yes. Is I, he good? He looks good in it. He's fantastic in it. He's it's incredible. So good in it. But they just announced today that uh, when he leaves, uh, Andrew Rannells is replacing him. Oh, interesting. Yeah. All yeah, right, I like Andrew Rannells. Yeah, I'll go there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. I hope it still sells. Yes. Because Andrew Randall certainly has the voice for it. And yeah. And the style for it. He's in, yeah. I was not into the Hugh Jackman hopping. Yeah, what the hell was that? I don't know. I feel like it was a gamble that they thought might be cute, but I was but not into cute, it. It's 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 so from a nineteen fifty five Bobby Van movie, completely irrelevant, even if it's cute. Yeah. No, I don't know. But you know one of the fun things in this book is um, you know, because I am a Tony Award geek and watched right. all, you know, all these years, I asked them all, every single one of them, about the Tony Award night, yeah. borrowing dresses, winning, that kind of thing. And some of my favorite um, comments, um, uh, Patty Lapone said, uh, you know, ugh, the Tony Awards, they're, they have nothing to do with talent anymore. They're, you know, it's, it's just a game. And I said, well, if you discount them that way, then when you win, you know, what does that mean? And she said, if you win, it's everything. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> then it's not a game yeah, anymore. Yeah, right, exactly. It's like, it's uh, true. Right. It's just like a total contradiction. Yes. She was very funny about it. But um, Victoria Clark also said something that I found um, really interesting. She said, you know, when you go to the Tony Awards uh, and you're sitting there nominated, it's like a blind date because you've been working. You haven't seen your competition. You don't know what you're up against because you're doing eight shows a week too. So you don't know. Right. <laughs> so uh, and that was that was a really interesting take on it. That's true too. Audra McDonald talked about the first time that she lost and she said it was such a relief because there was this mythology that was being built around her that was yeah. like, wow, every time she gets on stage, she gets nominated and wins a Tony yeah. Award. And she's like, can we just please break that? Yeah. So she, she was like, I really like losing. Yeah. Well, that's, that yeah. makes sense. I yeah. get it. I get it. Now, was there a moment where you realized, oh, this is really going to happen. This book is going to happen. Was, was there a, 
you know, you, you got a critical mass of, like, momentum and publisher and stuff like that. Because it's hard to get something like this off the ground. Yeah. There must um, have been a long period of when it was just sort of a, a leap of faith. Yeah, well, actually, that, it was. And, uh, and Tanya Pinkins actually turned that around for me. Um, I, as she often does. As she often does. As, as you do. Um, Tanya Pinkins, so, and I will always, you know, love her dearly for this. Um, I had it in my head that, so the first step had to be to get the women to agree to do this book um, so that I would know that it was more than an idea, that it was in, that I would have a book. Yeah. So I, I contacted them, everybody on my list to say, will you do this book? But I didn't want to trouble them to sit down and do the interviews, like the conversations, unless I knew there was a publisher. Because right. I thought, I'm not going to take your time if this thing doesn't come to fruition. Right. And I told that to Tanya Pinkins, and she said, Eddie, write your book. Don't wait for somebody else's approval. Right. Write it. And, and, and I was like, that's... If you build it, they will come. Yeah. And I was like, that's right, actually. That's exactly right. So because of her, that's when I started the conversations. And I was... It was blind faith. I didn't have a publisher lined up yet, but... When did you take it to a publisher? Where, where, how far along were you? Oh, I, that was a long, long road. I took it to a publisher even before... I mean, I started soliciting publishers before there was uh, a chapter written. Yeah. Um, and then I had a publisher, and then that publisher folded. And, right, you know, it's it was, the whole it was, thing. It's a process. You must be so uh, proud. Aren't you I, proud? Was there a moment where you're like, I fucking did it? I'm not good at pride. Um, what? I know that sounds that sounds false. No, modest, I get it. But I just I you know there's a song and again they listen all you show show queens here's here's one for you. There's a song that Liza Minnelli sang in Flora the Red Menace called A Quiet Thing, um, and the lyrics are When it all comes true just the way you plan. Funny how the bells don't ring. It's a quiet thing. Um, and I've always felt that whenever I have success of any kind, it's always gratifying, but it's not like, yeah, parade. And I'm the first person to throw a parade for somebody else. But yeah. for me, it's a quiet thing. Well, I also know having done some big things that the, the road there is so long and arduous yeah. that by the time you get there, it's not a surprise or something. I don't know. In other words, the, the uh, yeah, journey right. takes that. What out of you in a way? And I always knew what I was doing. So right. now other people know too. But I yeah. always knew. But there's something else too, which is you know, uh, again, Audrey McDowell. One of the things that surprised me in this book um, was the level of insecurity that um, that all of these women. I did not imagine that there would be insecurity with people this accomplished. Right. But and I I I could argue or or surmise anyway that some of my own issues with pride that's insecurity there too because I always think that under the surface people are like oh my god you must be so happy you did that but I'm like yeah but it's still just a little old me yeah. it's just me and my right. apartment's still a mess and right. you know and I still have you know crap that I need to do and my mother's still mad at me and whatever right. so you know and Audra actually said I asked her at what point um, she was sort of able to go whew you know I don't have to worry about waiting tables. I know I'm going to have a career in this business. Right. And she said, never. She said, I still wake up wondering if today is the day that they're going to think I'm a fraud. They're going to find me out. Yeah. My secret's yeah. out. And this is, you know, now six-time Tony Award winner, yeah. Audrey McDonald, which is crazy. But, but you know, but so real and so human. Yeah. And universal. What musical speaks to you more than any other? Which one do you see yourself in? Or are you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, well, I can't say Dreamgirls because we just had this conversation right. about um, uh, colorblind casting. But, um, but, but the, thematically, it absolutely could. No, uh, well, well it, there, I mean, there are so many in so many different ways. Dreamgirls really does that, that production, the Michael Bennett production of Dreamgirls. I had never seen a show 
that blew me away so much. Again, the alchemy of the material, the performances, the lighting, the costumes, the staging, the all of it together. It was just like... Uh, and it's also the time in your life. It's also right, what you bring to right, where and, you are in and, your life. Right. I'm 12. Right. And I'm, I'm that, you know, the, I'm the perfect age for it to hit my sweet spot. And um, Chorus Line 2, another Michael Bennett show, because of everything that it says about the business and about yeah. theater and about the love, um, but also the staging of it. And, 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 and when I heard it in my life, those are two hugely powerful ones for me. And then, um, you know, if we're going back classics, I've always loved My Fair Lady for some reason. Really? Yeah. I just, I You love, love a makeover story. I love, right, I love a makeover. A makeover who, montage. Who, who doesn't love a makeover story? Now, but. speaking of theater, I remember you, I just flashed on this moment when, I, I told you about this book called Starstruck, about yes. fandom, that, that uh, Michael Joseph Gross, I think, is the name of the writer. And uh, I met him, I, I'm pretty sure that's the name of the writer. It's, it's a wonderful book about about fandom and getting too close to fame and how it can backfire or whatever. But I told you about it and you were in a theater and there was some weird connection and I can't remember the story. Yeah, it was that uh, as I was reading this book that sort of talked about, um, as you say, the relationship of fans to to celebrity and celebrities' relationship to fans, um, sitting in front of me um, at an off-Broadway play were James Lapine and Stephen Sondheim. Oh my goodness. Um, and the two, for people who don't know James Lapine, he is the, uh, with Stephen Sondheim, he wrote Into the Woods, and he wrote Sunday in the Park with George, and he wrote Passion, and he also directs. Um, and he has a, he was nominated this year. He has something, didn't, did, doesn't this he? Year? he no. Well, he just like did a, the, for a play? Um, Never mind. No, I don't think it was nominated this year. Uh, sadly, yeah. the last thing he directed on Broadway was the uh, revival of Annie. Okay. That was not so good. But but he is, he is prolific and, yeah. and, and and incredible talent. Um, and there the two of them were. And I had the, the book with me. Um, and I said, you know, this book is all about, you know, your great love of... Uh, and and you guys kind of fit that for me. So, I so had you talked them, to them about it. Yeah. And I had them sign my copy of Star Trek. Oh, that's crazy. Um, so, yeah. But they're not mentioned in the book. There's they're not, not a chapter no, about them. It was just like that. No, it was just they represented for me yes. what that book was about. That's so, so interesting. Yeah. I know. I love that. Sondheim, by the way, I have several signed Sondheim things, but my favorites are like... When I've asked him to, like I asked him to do the the forward for this book, and he's when you write to Sondheim, he's famous about writing back, and he'll, you know, you get this nice little note card, yeah. you know, with like two sentences hand typed on a yeah. typewriter, and then he's, you know, no, <laughs> yeah, but I'm, very, I'm always very very sweet, but yeah. I, I I love those, they're so they're so awesome. Fun. There's the book actually has there's so much. Um, you asked about whether or not these, these women like each other. Yes. And um, having them in the same room, um, uh, you can see that there's a real sisterhood there, but so many of them have worked with each other and worked with the same people. So Sondheim is a good example of, some, he's a thread throughout, because right. so many of them have worked with, with him, right. so they'll all have different perspectives on him. And then Ethel Merman is another one. Anybody who knew Ethel Merman, I want Ethel Merman stories, so I asked them all Ethel Merman stories, if they if they knew her. Now, but, some of these ladies are are... Getting up there. Yeah. And have you thought about how you'll feel when that starts to well, happen? How, how can you how can you think about how you'll you'll never know. But it's <laughs> such a I bummer. Know, Everyone's listening to this going, Dennis, that's such a bummer. Well, here's here's the more pragmatic uh, question that was more awful for me. Um, 
there were five women in this book. Actually, one of them is now not in it, uh, but but there were five women on my list. Where I was like, they're the priorities. Yeah, I hear <laughs> because, you. Because those stories, yes. it, like they could go. Yeah. Um, so I gotta I, I gotta get to them first. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I was I was eager about that, and 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 also eager to get the book in their hands. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't mind saying Carol Channing is ninety three. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, I wanted her to see it. Uh, yeah. Before you know, while she has she. Out. Yeah. And yeah. has she said anything to you? Yes. Um, uh, she's quite complimentary about it. She loves that, you know, the, the back the back of the book is just a photograph of her. Yeah. Uh, so that makes her happy. But, you know, Carol Channing was another one of the great things that came out of this book. After I interviewed her for this, I, I produced Gay Days at Disneyland as well. Right. And I interviewed her, because she trusted me then, I interviewed her uh, at Gay Days. Oh, uh, for incredible. An and that was awesome. But then I spent the next day... Um, in Disneyland with she and her husband riding rides, and it was fast pass. I assume uh, we had a go, we had a tour guide. With yeah, us. I'm helped. sure. But uh, but you went to Disneyland with Carol Channing for the day. You your and head must have exploded. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, how, knowing how I love Broadway yes. and how I love Disney, yes. and to sort of be approaching the steam train and have Carol Channing take me by the hand and say, "Put on a Sunday clothes when you feel down and out," and I, like. Like yes, it was it was too much to handle. No, but she but, was not going on that the Space Mountains and the well, she wasn't going on that crazy ride. We went on Soren. Which we one's on, that? You know the one that takes off. Um, oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And she grabbed me when it took off because she did yeah. not know what was coming. But but the best there was a great life lesson in in that day in Disneyland with Carol Channing. And by the way. There are many life lessons that I got out of this book, and that was a, a fringe benefit that I never saw coming. Right. Uh, but the one from Carol that day was, you know, she was 90, he was 91. He actually died three months later. Wow. And um, the two of them, you know what it's like at that age. Like, a, a stumble could be catastrophic. Right. You, know, you can break anything quite easily. And it's a crowded park with people who are jostling and yeah. moving and rushing. and. Still, if there was something to be done, they wanted to do it. They were, they were, it was like, if there is an ounce of juice left to squeeze out of life, I am squeezing it. That's great. I am getting what there is. I am living. I thought, wow, you know, how do you get to be 90 years old and decide that's how I am living? I'm not going to sit at home, you know, with my needlepoint. Right. And it was inspiring. That's cool. Really, really inspiring. That's amazing. Yeah. What What are some of the things that have surprised you that have come out of the book? You mean like since it's yeah, publication? just results other are, than are, sitting in your kitchen. Other than this right, fantastic this moment. moment, yeah. Um, oh, um, I'd say that. Uh, well, one of it, this didn't come from the publication of the book, but one of the the experiences that I. Um, Oh, this sounds again self-aggrandizing, but some of these women have become my friends. Right on. And that's 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 a really cool thing. That's a pinch me moment. It's a, like, how did that happen? Yeah. I grew up, you know, listening to cast albums, and now, you know, I can sit in the audience of a Patti LuPone concert, and she's literally saying hi to me from the stage, and that's crazy. Wow. Um, and that makes you know, it's it's a little surreal. What uh, happens for, on the night when both of them want you to come to something? Oh, I, I don't think I'm... I don't think that'll happen. I'm, I'm not that level of... <laughs> but that'll of be amazing. That, it yeah. could randomly happen in it a weird way. It could randomly happen, but I don't think... Uh, yeah. And, you know, and uh, another, Laura Benanti is another one who, who I became quite friendly with, and she and I went to the opening night of a show together. She invited me, and when she was doing red carpet, she insisted on 
having me, like pulling me in with her to all of the photos. And she was telling the press about my book, which is an incredibly unnecessarily generous act. Right. Uh, you know, and, and unexpected and lovely. That's so, so cool. So nice. Now, what is it about the women of Broadway? Like, because the men are not as larger than life. I mean, there are talented men that we know from Broadway that sing yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I'm, nobody's jumping into my head. And yet, there are these larger-than-life women that you can build a whole book around. Why is it the women and not the men? Well, I think if you, if you, if you thought for more than a beat, you could come up with a good list of men. But I do think that it's an art form that lends itself to aggrandizing, or, or I keep saying aggrandizing, to celebrating women. Um, uh, the music is written for belt out your yeah. lungs, sing out Louise. You know, it's a... It's a uh, an art form that lends itself to that. And on top of that, um, dare I say, it's such a cliche to say, but I'll say it, um, that gay men, both the, the audiences and also the writers, um, are, are so much a part of musical theater that they're writing for the, for these women. And, right. and it's, and it's the gay audiences adoring these women that yeah. create a sort of diva worship. But, it's a that is oversimplification. I mean, look at Wicked, which has you know a rabid fan base for its two female leads, and that's that's not an exclusively gay thing. For sure. Um, when you know your readings and events and stuff is a lot of gay people. It's a decent mix. Yeah. It's a surprising mix. You know, I mean, I just did. Did a, you ever hit on anybody in the in the audience or wink at them or sign their book and write your number in it? It hasn't happened yet. Although, you should. Although I have been hit on. That's amazing, so that's nice. right? That's a nice. Good thing I'm single. Oh, right. wait. Did I say uh, I'm single? Hey, did I mention that I'm single? Right on. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, that, that, that's always... I mean, you know from having done your own book signings and CD signings, that's always a fringe benefit. Um, well, a know. lot of times, at any event that I've done, you'll you'll be up there. This is this sounds like I'm full of shit. But you'll spot somebody in the crowd, and then when it's over, by the time you get out, they're, they, they always leave first yes that's true yeah that's true but you know that's okay that's okay you want to like lasso them and you, like you've touched them you know that you've touched them in, <laughs> in way. some way right, right. and now, sometimes maybe your your star is just too bright yeah. for them and they couldn't handle, they couldn't <laughs> right. handle it now you also mentioned disney you are an avid disney lover that's such a nice way to put that and or a disnoid <laughs> that's a you nice co-wrote way. queens in the kingdom which Correct. is the the gay lesbian the, guide to the disney theme parks now who knew How I often do you go? I know. Um, How uh, often you go? Well, <laughs> it's okay. I, I I I came back from Disney World days ago. Yeah. Um. I uh just booked another Disney cruise today. What are Disney cruises like? Disney How cru- Disney-ish? Oh my God, they're so good. What do you love about um, them? I adore. Well, you've done your share of cruises. I have done my share of cruises. And what I love about Disney cruises um are that the the boats themselves are beautiful. Um, the Disney experience is, you know, if you like characters, you like the shows, that's all there. But then there's also, there's all this adult-only area. So you can go to the adult-only pool or restaurants or bars or the gym and, and free yourself from the kids. But then you can also, you know, if you choose to, watch children interacting with the characters right. or the show. So you get you, the best of both worlds. And I, I actually, because so many people are there with families, the adult-only areas tend to be really kind of sane and quiet. Right. Um, I love it. I love I'm, it. I'm a scary, scary, scary Disney Cruise Line addict, and I need rehab. 
All right. Um, but yes. Have so you I ever kind of like burned out or thought, you know what, I'm going to take a little break? Or No, because my experience is different. Yeah. So even like just having gone with Jeffrey Epstein, um, with whom I co-wrote Queens in the Kingdom, we were just spent a week uh, uh, a week together at Disney World. Um, and um, just the approach is different. Like I will go into the parks and I don't need to ride every ride. I'm happy to just sit and look at people or stroll. It doesn't, you know. Where's your favorite spot to stand in a Disney park or to sit? There are a few. Okay. Um, but uh, there's a, a Disneyland um, on Main Street. Uh, there is a porch with rocking chairs and there's a similar porch with rocking chairs in Liberty Square at Disney World at the Magic Kingdom there. And it's really, I sometimes will sit with my New York Times. I will sit and read the paper in the theme park. That's cool. Which makes me seem like Carl from Up, the old man. Right. But, but you know, but whatever. I just, I, it, you know, really a shrink who's listening to this podcast would think, God, this guy's obsessed with Disney and musical theater. What's his deal with escapism? But, you know, whatever. Have you thought about any of that stuff? Not in any real way because I would break down crying. Right. <laughs> But uh, but I do think that you know the, it it is telling right um, and I do think you know that it's it, uh, gay people tend to like both of those things like Disney like musical theater and I do think that that the gay um, uh, desire for escapism a lot of us were oh I'm gonna get so dime store psychology here but. Um, you grow up in childhoods where you're feeling like an underdog or feeling not fully accepted right. and, um, and escaping into magical, brightly colored musical worlds. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And also musical theater, though, isn't all shiny happy. Like, there, it deals with, you know, there's, right. there's some are, but, but also it's, it runs the gamut of, of things. There's tragedy, there's complicated things, there's Sondheim stuff. Right, that's And you true. like all of it. That's true. I do like, and I also don't, like exclusively musicals. I'll yeah. go to plays as often as I'll go to musicals. Yeah. Um, but I do like escaping into other worlds and yeah. playing out um, my own emotional catharsis through other characters. Yeah. Uh, that's it's it's so much easier to cry in the theater than it is to cry in real life. Well, I I like it because art gives you access to your emotions. Right. The other day I was watching Mad Men and there was a scene with Don and Peggy that was so profoundly moving to me and I was a little jet-lagged. I'd been traveling. I don't know what it tapped into me, but I just paused it and just kind of melted Wet. down. I yeah. did. like, But like, like the, the ugly cry, as Oprah would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there was something so... Their history, I don't know what it was, but yeah, it did me in. Um, now, you're also involved in Gay Days, which is right. the gay... Uh, when the gays go to Disneyland and Disney World, uh-huh. and what's your role in that? And the producer. Um, you're the you're the producer. I'm the producer of, of Gay Days at Disneyland, not Disney yeah. World. Yeah. Okay. Um, but Gay Days at Disneyland. So um, it's a it's fantastic because with both the book and and Gay Days, it's um, it's like spending time, and I know you've done this as well. That you think about what are the things I love to do, and then how do I turn that into my job? Right. Um. So with both of those things, that's that's what they were and what I love about doing gay days so much is that um, because I'm the producer it's a blank canvas I can decide you know oh I want to interview Carol Channing there and charge money for it and give that money to Broadway Cares okay we're doing that this year amazing it's really fun to just sort of you have an idea and you I don't even have to I don't have to run it up the tent pole for approvals I just do it you're the dude it's great now how has have you noticed changes in 
the event itself or the way people react to the event Absolutely. or how the other people in the park react to the totally. event over the years that you've totally. been doing it. Well, this is uh, this is year 17 for Gay Days. So, yes. And you've been involved from the from beginning. From the very beginning. Okay. So, yes, a lot has changed. Um, and there were years when, many years, when uh, Disney was even skittish about it and sort of, you know, really hush-hush. And now, I mean, this last year, around the park, they serve layer cake and each layer was a different color of the rainbow wow so they're i mean they're in it now they, they're in they're it. owning it and there was a time also when you could go to city hall um at disneyland and city hall is quite famous for accommodating guests even with outrageous requests and city hall at disneyland yes i'm sorry yes of course and people on Main Street USA, duh. Um, right. And uh, people, by the porch, yes. I'm gonna go sit in that chair the next time it's, I'm there. It's really worth it. Yeah, um, and they're just free rocking chairs. Yeah, they're not chained down or anything. And just watch the world go by. Okay, I um, like that idea. Yeah. Um, but uh, so people would go to City Hall and complain about things, and, but, and families would go on gay days and complain, and Disney would would give them money back, and now right. they don't. Um, now their position is, you know, well, you know, the fact that you are not happy with the other guests in the park that's not right we're not responsible for that any more than if there's a cheerleader convention in town and there are a bunch of cheerleaders in the park yeah i get to ask for my money back right you know? um so they've they've really evolved um but i also get i get mail from the public all the time e email of course um but i get i used to get a lot of angry hate mail about yeah. um you know my family you ruined blah 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 and now i get far more love mail from straight people who say we were there we had expectations of it being Sodom and Gomorrah and oh my god it was so great my daughter was wearing a birthday button and everybody stopped and asked her how old she was and everybody was so polite and they one of the things that I get a lot of I mean, this is going to sound so saccharine, but I get a lot of feedback that, that at Gay Days, people are just having fun in the parks, and you actually don't see that as often as you think you might, despite the advertising. That families in the park are frequently beleaguered, yeah. exhausted, it's, a big schlep. it's hot, it was expensive, yeah. the kid is crying, like there's a lot of, uh, yeah. um, and, and it, it's not the fantasy trip that the, you know, that's on the commercials. Um, but whereas at Gay Days, it does... There's a celebratory a spirit yeah. with people. Yeah, and a community spirit. One of the things that, um, that I noticed there, and I really, really enjoy, when you go any other day, uh, the people in the parks tend to stay within their bubble. So if you're with your family, you're associating with your family, and of course there are other people there, but you're never really talking to them. Whereas on gay days, everybody talks to everybody. Yeah. Because because you're all acknowledging everybody, you're smiling, you're yeah. flirting, whatever. Um, it's a it's a whole other feel than the rest of the year, and I'm really proud of that. That's cool. Um, when people would write you and say bad things, what would you respond? I'm sorry you feel that way. Um, depends on the vitriol. Okay. Um, and, and if it was one of the days when I was my better self or not. Right. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not always great at, you know, <laughs> at the politic. That's all right. Um, you know, Otter McDonald actually, whoops, um, I just knocked over the microphone, folks. I know. Um, Otter McDonald, uh, today or yesterday, um, that from her Tony Award speech, this woman, uh, an editor at Time wrote, because uh, you remember her Tony speech, how mm -hmm. she, she thanked her parents for not medicating her. Yeah. And this woman said, well, I have to medicate my kids and I don't have the talent you have and I don't have the opportunities you've had. So, you know, maybe you could have just said thanks for supporting me instead of that. And Audra wrote this incredibly 
long classy letter um, about uh, how, look, that was, that was, I'm thanking my mom for specifically that. I'm not judging you or commenting on right. you or your choices or anything like that, but here's how it was for me. But it was such a, a well-written, classy, lovely, empathic letter, and I read it and thought, I could do that. I could do better at that. I'm reaching out to your letter. Yeah, I could, I could probably be a little classier, a little more empathic. When you I'm, have your little bracelet that says, what would Audrey McDonald <laughs> yeah, exactly, do? Yeah, exactly. Um, where's the most romantic place in the Disney theme park? Uh, for me personally yeah. or in general. Uh, and when you say romantic, because, you know, there's... <laughs> Take it however you want. Um, uh, uh, I've got my groove on in some 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 unexpected places, uh, but um, but romantic... Where did uh, you get your groove on? Uh, well, there are some some spots that are okay. that are not all that um, right yeah i don't even mean on rides like there are little nooks and crannies sure. in the park that you can find but i think the most romantic spot yes. it's quick it's short okay but when you're on the peter pan ride and uh-huh. you're flying over london uh-huh. i mean come on that's, that's pretty, pretty awesome that's a pretty great yeah. place to steal a kiss all right and we're hold hands i kind of love that yeah i'm um, sure i'm sure carol channing appreciated it you got caught up in a moment what were you gonna do <laughs> carol we did ride the peter pan ride together i must say and she still got it i did not get handsy because <laughs> yeah. it was right there well you have to go do something at 5 45 and it's um 5 24 now so well, that is shocking and the time it flies it flies by it flies. i loved seeing you i loved i'm so proud of you in the mating oh, making this book happen thank you and uh check it out it's called nothing like a dame it's available online at like Amazon or yeah, Barnes and Noble. Yeah, Barnes and Noble, and, and there's a Facebook page for the book, so you can page. find out about you know when there are events and who's appearing yeah. where and whatever. Because a lot of ladies come out. For and you're it. still doing events and things like I'm that. Still doing. I'm and still Gay doing Days everywhere. is in October. Gay Days is always the first weekend of October, and there's a Facebook page for that. Gay and Days and AIDS Walk. And AIDS Walk. Yeah. AIDS Walk uh, Los Angeles is coming up uh, in October as well. So, yeah. Yeah. There's so much You're, to look forward you, to. There is. It's awesome. So thank you so much. I'm so proud of thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, my email for this website, for this podcast is dennisanyonepodcast at gmail.com. I have not checked it. I have to check it. I feel weird. Like I go to open it and I'm like not in the mood to see whatever. You know, I just started this kind of solo podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. like a couple months ago. So anyway, I'm going to check it. Oh, I I'm going to check should, it. I, you know, if this was a radio show, I'd be, you know, yes, I'm Eddie Shapiro. And yeah. the book again is called Nothing Like yeah. a Dame, Conversations with the Great Women of Musical Theater. I like it. Yeah. It's good. That's what we did. We slicked it up at the end. I, I know, like that. right? All right. Thanks, Eddie. We're so slick. Okay. Bye.